Welcome, one and all, throughout time and space for this episode of Weebs on the Weekends, the podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look on an anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode will cover the anime news for the fifth week of July 2021, as well as our thoughts on whether or not to resurrect or rebury the 2011 anime Natsume Yunchincho. My name is San Martinez. I'm a part-time weeb, full-time auto male mechanic, and with me as always is my co-host Jay Johnson, part-time weeb, full-time English language sensei. Now Jay, I have to tell you a little bit about some of the anime that I've seen, just the anime that's coming in current. Are you familiar with the Japanese folktale Momotaro? Uh, Momotaro. Uh, not that, is, is that about the peach baby? Yes, that's uh, okay. about the uh, peach baby that has a bloodlust for, uh, uh, not not orcs. What's the other ogres that has the bloodlust for ogres? Yes. So I've been watching Peach Boy Riverside, right? And that that's why I bring up Momotaro because as I'm watching Peach Boy, it's a bit different because a couple couple things on when you watch it outside of the intended streaming service that it's from i don't know which property it is but if you like the disbursement for the episodes is different right whereas if you say for instance if it was on funimation i don't know if it is but just just for sake of argument if you watch it on funimation right it has a proper chronological order but say if it was on hulu it would the episodes would be done differently to tell the story differently as I am watching the episode, it sort of gives you, like, two episodes that can sort of, like, set up the series, and you can start out, and it has, like, the backdrop, and in the beginning, like, right before, like, the bloodlust sets in and, like, the action happens, you know, it gives the preface for Momotaro, uh, the Peach Baby, it's like, you know, this old man was chopping woods in the forest, and this old lady was washing clothes. And they ran into a peach along the riverside. And it's always like, you know the story. And then you see this, these slashes and hacks and slashes of uh, blood and ogre parts all over. And me being the American, I'm like, no, I don't know the story. Why won't you tell me the story? It was just very interesting because I did a little deep dive on the story of Momotaro. And it's funny because as I'm watching it, like I'm realizing all the other anime properties that I have seen up to this point that reference that story. For instance, in uh, Momentaro, what, are, are you familiar with the overall story for Momentaro or no? I just know the initial premise of Peach Baby's found, kind of like Moses, goes on a quest, kind of like Journey to the West of slaying ogres and bringing peace to the land but other than that nothing much no like you said that's pretty much the story right there he ends up uh when when the young boy becomes of age uh he ends up going to slay the ogres because the ogres are essentially oppressing the homeland of his uh, parents and essentially along the way he run he has a talking dog i think a talking monkey and there's another companion that travels with them and they end up going to the kingdom or the island of the ogres that's known as onigashima and it's just funny because in one piece they have to do the same thing in the japan equivalent 
islands uh, in One Piece where the ruling class is a bunch of monsters, people who look like ogres, why they have like horns on their head. And ogres in uh, Japanese folklore, they basically look like demons where they just have like one or two horns on their foreheads. They have to go to a neighboring island known as Onigashima where the ruling class is. And as I said, it's just like neat little parallels like that that I've uh, noticed. And uh, the whole thing about the the horns uh, j- just uh, hit me just now as I'm explaining it to you. So it's it's just kind of cool seeing how a folklore tale is, has influenced or has so much influence in uh, one's culture that you would see it permeated all throughout uh, their forms of media. So I feel like I'm just a little bit more cultured now after having to do that deep dive on boys and peaches. Oh, that's sweet. I'm glad you pushed up your glasses while you were saying that last part. Yes, you are a man of culture, but that's good to hear. Yeah, because the anime season is actually going pretty strong. That's the only thing I'm really not watching yet because it hasn't premiered yet is Star Wars Visions. Oh, yes. So, yes. yeah, I was surprised about how much anime I was going to be watching this season. Like, um, we did our top five list in a couple episodes ago, but alongside that, I'm, like, watching things are really, like, popping up into my, like, sphere of, like, news gathering and, like, what is, like, the... Everyone's basically buzzed about... And like Black Company kind of caught my attention. No, no one's really talking about uh, Kobayashi's Dragon Maid much, but I'm loving really? it so much. Well, I mean, it's kind of um, Kyoto Animation's like return to form, and we talked about thick dragons before. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> other than that, yeah, it's a pretty decent season. Enjoying it. You know, Tokyo Revengers a little bit behind on. I'm actually behind on a lot of series so far. Um, case study of. Vanitas, I always forget how to pronounce that name, which actually is going to come up later in the show. I'm going to make a parallel with the anime that we're reviewing to that. Okay. But um, pretty decent summer. I have one more week of summer vacation. Finished up a nine-hour session of cooking uh, Cajun dishes of jambalaya and boudin balls for a competition. And tomorrow I'm deciding to beat Minecraft because it is... Oh, you're gonna you're going to fight the dragon. Yes, I'm going to fight the dragon finally. I've actually been nervous about it because I've been at the entrance to the dragon's lair for like the past week and I haven't had the courage to go inside because <laughs> there is like, I forgot what the percentage is, but there is a small enough percentage as soon as you enter the cage or as soon as you enter the lair that the dragon will just yeet you into the void immediately. Yes. So like all that preparation you did just to die literally in the first second is like kind of terrifying me but other than that um, that's what save states are for (laughs) (laughs) very uh, that's true but um minecraft doesn't have that when you're going against the end dragon or end dragon yeah so once you yeah all or nothing so if you get yeeted into that void then all your stuff is just gone um but other than that pretty decent summer i've enjoyed it so much the summer season is still in high gear we're only four episodes five five episodes into the season so we might need to do our three episode review soon but other than that i'm ready to talk about some news sam oh yeah i'm well it's kind of news related but this was going to be my swag way into the oh, news swag way. we are recording on the first of august do you know what today is it, uh, it 
Um, what, what's his name? Uh, uh, give, give me a second. Give me a second. That's uh, okay. That's the second. It's Digimon Day. It's Digimon Day. Yeah. Uh, it's the creator's name. I, I think it's like Oda Ba. Oda Ba. Um, but yeah, it's Digimon Day. August 1st is always Digimon Day. So happy Digimon Day since you're a big fan. All right. So yeah, that's swag way into some news. I just wanted to take a moment and highlight some of the weebs that, because right now the Olympics are happening and I know we had, you and I had planned on going to Japan and the, the, the promised land and do what uh, the natives do, sing uh, uh, openings in the streets, probably go to maid cafes, things like that. But just wanted to highlight some of the competitors in the Olympics just to show that weebs comes in all shapes and sizes and they can also be athletic and not necessarily otakus we have uh for instance one competitor from mexico alexa moreno as i was saying uh another weeb that uh that's performing in the olympics is a Mexican uh, by the name of A. Moreno. I can't say her first name, otherwise the AI in my room would just act a fool. But apparently, she is as big as weeb as we are, and was able to do her floor routine to a song from Demon Slayer. Albeit her routine landed her in 60th place, I just have to say, you have to give props to this lady. She was able to perform on a international level, compete in, once again, like I said, the promised land, and able to perform to a routine, a routine to a song of one of your favorite anime. I mean, how many people can say that they did that, much less go to Japan, right? And another Olympian that has to do with uh, archery Olympian by the name of Takaharu Furukawa, and he was letting his weeb flag fly in saying infamous phrases from the Fate Night series, or from the Fate series, such as, my heart feels like it's bouncing, pion pion, which is a phrase that is referenced to one of the lines in, uh... Oh, no, isn't it from, is the order a rabbit? Isn't that... From, from is the order of rabbit and i'm sorry that that's that's not a fate series but it just shows you know his level of the anime that he does and one of the interviewers had asked him a fate uh question asking him it's like when you shoot off an arrow do you say i am the bone of my sword and his oh i'm sorry this is a different uh archer uh Another archer by the name of Deng Yu Cheng, who is part of the Chinese Taipei team, and he earned silver medal that same day. And he was asked a similar question, once again from uh, Fate Night, I'm sorry, from the Fate series, asking him, you know, when he shoots off an arrow, do you say, I am the bone of my sword? He says, no, I actually say, Stella, which is a phrase from another archer character known as Arash from Fate Grand Order. So he was <laughs> I I love it how he was saying, I see what reference you're going for, 
but that's not the archer I like. This is the other archer I like. So it's it's just nice and very welcoming to me to know that we are being properly represented in the Olympics as weebs. What say you, Jay? This seems to be like just the whole, I don't think it's pandering. I think it's one of those things of if weebs are going to Japan to compete professionally, that they can sneak things in to show that they have like respect and knowledge of Japanese like exports. Because again, um, we talk about all the time, like how big the manga and anime industry is globally. So I'm glad that a lot of athletes are like being very forward about it and trying to sneak it under the radar, probably <laughs> trying to, you know, just show that, yes, uh, this is my dream. Like how big having the Tokyo games actually is, especially with the year delay and that maybe a lot of them were maybe crestfallen about the games might be canceled in totality. But now that they're here, they're able to show off and say like, yeah, I appreciate the culture, the people, and everything that I can do to represent my own country, but compete with respect in Japan. And I think you said 60th place? She was pretty low. She she, she was pretty low. If, if it wasn't 60th, it might have been 6th. Uh, I, I, all, all I saw was 6th. Um, yeah, just giving her due credit, because I believe she scored a 12.8-something. Um but yeah, I watched the routine. Uh, I was more tuned into judo, which I think was on another channel during that day. But uh, yeah, not to criticize her performance, but uh, she did do a um, decent job matching her choreography to the tempo of the music. I believe it was Demon Slayer Core. I think that's the track of the Demon Slayer OST that she was performing to. But overall, I love that the athletes in the Olympics are still doing this. Like we, we talked about the opening ceremonies, how they did a lot of music from Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and a lot of other performances are actually coming out and paying homages to like, like um, classic anime like poses and phrases and just going above and beyond just to be the most weed that they can. So yeah, it's good news. I want to say like, because I think I think it was like the triathlon where part of the path of the bike course was they have to drive by the Gundam unicorn. You know, it, it's not just the athletes, but it's also Japan itself saying, we know why you like us, so we're going to highlight it too. And talking about people being highlighted for liking stuff in Japan, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, and One Piece uh, creator Ichiro Oda are fan of uh, one another because earlier this week we have a uh, Instagram post from the French president revealing an illustration of the series showing Luffy and the gang with a handwritten note from Ichiro Oda basically thanking uh the French president and France and what they have done to help promote the uh, the anime industry in France as well as uh, One Piece as uh, in, in in the country as well. And I was uh, just looking at uh, some of the stuff. It turns out uh, France is known for a big uh, international 
convention known as J Japan Expo. And as I said, it's known uh, on international levels. Like how for the States, everybody knows about Comic-Con. It seems like Japan Expo is on that same level, if not more, for France. And uh, the French market for One Piece is just 8%. Uh, of the manga that's being sold, but even with that eight percent, that's about twenty-five million copies. So, it's it, it's uh, it's it's nothing to scoff at saying that uh, the French would you know has helped One Piece in their numbers. It's very odd that no one really acknowledges this. Maybe because we're just so Western-minded that being in the United States that we like, oh, cosplay is such a niche thing and that you go to conventions even though they're popular throughout the year, like New York Comic Con, uh, even go to the South in Atlanta for uh, W A W A A W Anime Atlanta Weekend. And then out west yeah, then out west for uh San Diego Comic Con and then we have Annie uh, Anime Expo. But yeah, the French market just dominates in terms of the number of cosplayers. If you even look at how even in Japan, like the maid cafes are kind of modeled either after, or most frequently they're modeled after Victorian maids or French yeah. maids. And that's kind of the competing design for maids in Japan. But yeah, that's the relationship between Japan and France in terms of cultural exports is very high. There's a lot of French speakers in Japan that works for a lot of um, corporations. Even if you look at uh, French anime, which I forgot the specific name for French anime, but it was an anime very recently that caught a lot of attention from being a French production, which was Radiant. Radiant, yes. Radiant is a French collaboration between um, French and Japanese studios. And I think it's a French manga, actually, now that I think about it. I want, I want to say, like, because you, you had mentioned other French um, anime, there's Wakfu, and I want to say Oban Star Racers, too. Yeah, so I like the relationship. I'm glad that France does take an active participation inside that uh, exchange between cultural uh, mediums, because America doesn't really do that. Like, you won't see President Biden or previously President Trump kind of coming forward to say, yeah, we love anime here in the United States. It's still very niche. Even look at the anime movies that premiere in the U.S. that is very isolated to either New York, Atlanta, Miami, uh, Los Angeles, and that's basically it. Um, but yeah, I'm glad that France is getting their proper credits, and Oda is kind of the man to do that. Uh, the Anime Expo is set to return in LA for a, as a physical event during July 1st through the 4th in 2022. Just want to throw, sprinkle this a bit of news in there, just showing how we're at least like uh, being post, uh, trying to be a post pandemic world and things are starting to pick back up. How we had uh, news, I think, uh, last week about one convention where people were there in person. And this is just another example of a bigger convention sort of taking that same approach, but is trying to become in person next year. And they're known for, well, well they 
really do plan on having featured streamed content and events with uh the set with the following companies, uh Bushi Road, Bandai Namco, uh Crunchyroll, Right Stuff, Viz, and the Sekai Project, and a couple more, just some other uh companies that they've worked with. I, w- I want to say uh, uh they did host an online event uh this past year with the Society for the Promotion of Japanese Animation. And I'm not sure how well that went, but I know that it, it seems, again, you know, like that sign of normalcy that everything's trying to uh, come back. And I want to say, I'm trying to see whether or not... No, no, no. So these, the, these ticket prices were from this year. I was wondering why they were so low. But, uh... The tickets, uh, it happened on that same weekend this year, and they were about uh, $5 USD each for you to join the online festivities. So they at least tried to engage their fans this year, and it seems like they want to have their fans do what they normally do uh, next year in person. The 2020 or 2022 is the kind of time frame that was projected to be the time when conventions are supposed to come back in full form. Well, even though it's this month, technically a lot of <laughs> a lot of conventions did come back. I'm thinking about DreamCon, and we had the story about BlurnCon a couple of episodes ago. But yeah, for next year, it seems to be that all the conventions are going to be making that announcement either this month or next month that they're going to come back for the following. Because some conventions are like two years out of being in full attendance in person. So uh, a lot of the virtual conferences have been fully attended and even crashed some sites, given that the traffic (laughs) is now, now that it's online, basically anyone in the world can attend them. So a lot of the virtual conferences have actually been over attended than expected and crashed some of the sites. I'm thinking about Adult Swim Con crashed Mm. because of, Everybody across the world was in attendance, like for Ricky and Morty announcements and some of the live music performance that they host. So I'm looking forward to returning to conventions in person, actually. Now, uh, another bit of news. Uh, one of the uh, popular, well, uh, one of the popular or recent popular uh, manga uh, franchise, uh, Golden Kamui, it was said to enter their final arc on uh, July 29th. And apparently every chapter of this manga will be available on, excuse me, excuse me, will be available for free on the Yanjan app and on the Tonari No Young app uh, from... Uh, uh, will be free from now until September seventeenth. Just, uh, are you familiar with uh, the story for Golden Kamui? I'm familiar just because I'm so uninterested in it, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I I don't think it's a good thing that it kind of stuck yeah. in my mind. But with it being a production by Studio Genos, Genos, and that it's a uh, pretty memeable thing now but the cgi bear back in uh, season one they're yes they're into season three by now and well they are in season three right now or season three finished so 
that's kind of like outdated meme of it. So I'm sorry about that, but that's kind of always stuck in my head. And also it's covering a period in Japanese history. I'm not really that too much familiar with the post Russo Japanese war. So yeah. like that by itself wasn't enough interest as well as the CGI bear uh, reputation kind of turned me off, but I'm interested in Studio Genos, 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 because they're responsible for one of the projects of Star Wars Visions that we talked about again in our oh, okay. story previously. Yeah. So I'll probably check out the Star Wars thing, and if they handle that well enough, I'm going to go back and check out Golden Kamui. Okay, no, no, that that's fair. I know uh main reason why I picked this up was because I know one of my friends, he's been good on giving me suggestions. He's been suggesting Golden Comedy for a minute, and I've seen a couple of stints, and they have some really good comedic beats. But like you said, it when, when I was first introduced to it, there were some things that put me off to it, but it seems to have gained more popularity now that it's starting to close. So probably after watching that Star Wars uh, clip by Genos, I may be interested in watching uh, Golden Kamui as well. At least just to uh, see what the hubbub was about. Uh, just brief synopsis. Uh, like you said, it's post uh, the Japo, uh, sorry, the Russo-Japanese War, and you have this one soldier who runs across this treasure map, and essentially on his way to find this treasure, he's having to fight these other people who are interested as well, and he has to survive this ordeal with the help of an Ainu girl named Aserpa. And it seems to be this sort of odd couple, buddy cup uh, type dynamic that they have. And uh, it is available uh, for watch on Crunchyroll as well as Funimation. Now, uh, a bit of a quick uh, news story, <laughs> just because I have to inject it with... Uh, as as he had mentioned off air, Jay, this has been the most uh, sad news story week that there has been. This uh, it has been official that there is a new Super Sentai restaurant uh, opened in the karaoke uh, bistro chain in Pacela's Ikebukuro branch. And from what it's uh, from what the article says, it seems like the restaurant looks back on a lot of the Super Sentai entertainment works. It seems like over 45 iterations of it. And it's also, let's see, the Super Sentai restaurant is situated on the same floor as the Common Rider Diner. I didn't even know there was a Common Rider Diner. And essentially, the diner is celebrating its 10-year anniversary. And there's supposed to be more uh, information in regards to uh, the Super Sentai uh, restaurant later on. But I know that we've had uh, spoken about uh, different, what's it, uh, uh, different uh, plays, and you even mentioned maid cafes. But uh, have you had any experience with uh, themed restaurants such as these? Uh, not so much themed restaurants because it's such a bizarre idea for me to attend something like that because like that's not where my fandom goes for anything i'm not mm-hmm. that big of a fan of anything like if there was like a marvel theme restaurant i wouldn't go like star wars is kind of the only thing i would probably go to for star wars land because they have like a 
uh, most obviously cantina and like dishes around that but other than that not so much i haven't any experience the most that i've had experience to this is i've been to a uh over there in orlando i've been to a noodle a ramen uh bar and it was dragon ball z themed so everything on the menu was just uh named after certain characters certain modes for instance there's these two to three different size bowls where you can get one that's Kaoken, one that's uh, Super Saiyan, or you can get one that's Ultra Instinct. And each level is like just that much more uh, bigger and more involved than the previous iteration. And I have to say, like I had a, an enjoyable amount of time. I can't remember if they just played music from... Now that I think about it, I don't think that they played music, or if they did, it might have been like local radio. But they had different figurines, and they had different uh, pieces of art that was made locally to help promote the theme of the restaurant. So I would, if they had something like this, or if they had a, I, I would definitely try to go to the Common Rider Diner uh, if I had the opportunity. But it, it seemed just like one of those uh, fun type things uh, just to be involved in, especially if it was on a franchise that you had liked. So, um, I guess last bit of news, just to show that I did uh, due diligence on stuff that wasn't just specific to my likes, but there was a reveal on cast lead singers for a movie that was that that is in the work that's supposed to be released by Masaka Yuasa, the mind behind Ping Pong the Animation, his new work is uh, a movie called Inu O. Are you familiar with uh, this uh, movie, Jay? Yuasa uh, is like my favorite director of all time. And oh, okay. he's the director of Tatumi Galaxy that we've covered before on the yeah. podcast. He did Devil Man Cry Baby. I mentioned, you know, Ping Pong the Animation. That's kind of one of his most, not most recent work. His most recent work is Japan Sinks 2020, as well as Keep Your Hands Off Ezuken. Okay, I, I didn't know that he did, I, I didn't know he did those. I, I saw Ping Pong and I'm familiar with it, and I really do respect what they did with Ping Pong. I didn't mean to come off disrespectful, I just didn't know his work. Oh no, it's just like, um, like all his filmography, like just, like so how like you love uh, Mamoru Hosoda, yeah, that's uh, Masaki Yuasa for me, is that Okay. He is just one of like, you know, one of those modern geniuses that doesn't really get appreciated that much. And now I'm going to get on a soapbox about this. But, go ahead, go ahead. Soapbox yeah, away. Soapbox yeah. away. But uh, there is a um, PV or, you know, promotional video attached for this work. And this has been something kind of in the works for a while and it's going to premiere in Japan as well as the Venice International Film Festival, I think, next year. And I've been looking forward to this for probably two years because he announced this project along with Devil Man Cry Baby. That's oh, how okay. he wants to tell a. Uh, I forgot what time period in uh, Japan's history, but it does give vibes when you watch the PB of Princess Mononoke. But there is like this anatomy. What would it look like if Slender Man 
was a Olympic athlete running. Oh and my goodness. that's kind of his aesthetic when he draws these very gangly, creature-like people. They're, like, very mm-hmm. slender. They're very um, slender man-like. <laughs> so I you can see that in full force in this. Like, you see this mass human or creature probably, very much like the Princess Mononoke. But essentially, that's all we know really about of the story is being, like, kept secret, essentially. And I'm so hyped for it because the music talent behind this is on point. I don't want to make, I don't want to do any disservice to anyone's works because I forget what they're like involved with currently. There, yeah, and even with the PV, like the music is well orchestrated and it just sounds so addictive to listen to. I watched the PV like a couple times when I saw this come up on your news report, Sam. So I'm glad you included this. I'm going to keep talking if I don't stop. So. I'm very excited for this, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, as as you said, I, I what grabbed me was just the interesting story. It seemed like the synopsis was uh, the masked person. They this person was born was born with a deformity, and they have to use their mask, and ends up pairing with a blind, um, a blind uh, a musician. I, I can't remember the name of the instrument. I think it's like the, the two strings uh, guitar type thing. If not, that one's a variation of it. But essentially, they pair up with each other and uh, one plays while the other one sings. And it's about them trying to make it in the world. And that synopsis seems very, very interesting to me. So I'm very uh, interested to see how they're going to go uh, forward. But I know that that was a little bit of a long news list, and we have some anime to talk about. So, uh, without further ado, Jay, we're here to talk about your anime pick, uh, Natsume Yusinjo. And before we move forward, just wanted to remind the audience, we have time codes in the description below. And, uh, Jay, would you mind telling us a little bit about this anime have you seen it before uh, why have you chosen this anime of course so i'm glad you left the yuasa story last because it does swag way from something i love into something i love so <laughs> this is uh, natsumi's and the english translation is natsumi's book of friends which is i'm going to parallel to the book of vanitas which is you know something that premiered this season but the idea of this series I'll talk about in a little bit, but it's 74 episodes, and right off the bat, I'm just going to say this is a resurrect, because all I want to do is gush <laughs> about the series. I, you, I rarely do this uh, to say, like, yeah. oh yeah, it's a resurrect up front, because I picked this because it so distinctly contrasts to Nora, Rise of the Yukai, that I did yeah. a rebury for, and this is the kind of story that Nora could have been, or that's not fair to say, but it is a distinction that I want to make between a shoujo, which is girl um, targeted story, to a shonen, which is a boy, young boy targeted um, project. And there is a distinction of why the storytelling kind of demographic works. And that's kind of what anime is all about. It's about setting a story within these demographics to what placates or plays to what the audience uh, really knows. <laughs> Even if you want to look at something that premiered 
uh, in this year, like uh, Gundam Age, which was kind of Sunrise's attempt to pull in a younger audience and giving it more of a Mega Man chibi kind of look. But the demographic when anime is produced is very important. And I think that's why Natsumi works and Nora doesn't. So let me go into the the synopsis before I start soapboxing about it. (laughs) So this did premiere back on July 8th, 2008. So you can tell that we are over the 10-year anniversary. Season 3 is what premiered in 2011. So... This is a manga-based Japanese anime, animated by studio BrainBase, which I guess we are just BrainBase fans because yes. you love Bakano, I love Durara, and they were responsible for the first four seasons. There are six seasons in total. The second, the fifth and sixth season were covered by Shuka studio which was responsible for 91 days which is another gangster anime so very odd that they went from one gangster studio to the other gangster studio but it's not a gangster series but anyways and this is by yuki midori kawa and her works include something that we're actually going to talk about in a future episode one of the movies um i forgot the translation or I can't even pronounce the Japanese because of the kanji is so difficult. But it is a story with a masked character who's immortal and he meets a young girl and they grow up together essentially, or he watches over her as she grows. But we'll talk about that in the future. But this is based on the manga series, her manga series. She's known for those two works and it's actually still ongoing, which I was very much surprised to find out. This is still happening? No, it's not. Yeah, so 26 volumes up till today, or, you know, this year, and it's been running since 2005. So it's a very long-running story and only 74 episodes, which covers basically a third, third or fourth of it. So if it does come back into, you know, now that we're, or now that I'm resurrecting it, there is definitely more story to be told. But the story centers on a dude named Natsumi who is a unwilling inheritant of the Book of Friends, which is a artifact that controls spirits. And the story basically goes through his life, his daily life, trying to come to terms with this power, his responsibilities, and the spirits that kind of just hound him over having this possession. Uh, it's slice-of-life genre, it's supernatural, there's drama, it's available on Funimation and Crunchyroll. So that's the synopsis, and the first thing I want to say, Sam, how did you enjoy the first three episodes of season one? It was reminiscent, and yet I didn't know why. Uh, I felt like I've run into stories very similar to it. It, it reminds me a little bit of Ushio Atora, um, uh, to, to a degree, because... The main character essentially inherits an ability from his predecessors and has this spirit pal guardian that they have to uh, essentially deal with the day-to-day uh, stuff with with the pal and the guardian. And it, I would say, like one thing that sort of was uh, understanding but still j- jarring to me was just the episodic nature. And 
with something like this, it works, but it's really hard for me to like it just because I don't really like episodic stuff. I mean, unless it's like a comedy, right? But like if it's something a little bit more with a serious tone like this, where essentially every uh, person, where every page or every um, uh, spirit that he runs into it, uh, helps him learn a little bit about his grandmother, because I think, uh, re correct me if I'm wrong, but his parents had given him up or his parents ended up dying where he has to bounce from from a relative household to another relative until until uh, uh, this most recent one, which is like a, a year right before he starts to become independent. And I would say like that relationship that he had with his family, it reminded me of what's it, it reminded me of Graveyard of the Fireflies in the sense of where it it sort of is looking at the Japanese culture uh, straight in the face. Whereas if you're an outsider, you would think, oh, they think all about family, blah, 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 blah. But then when you take a deeper dive into it, they're actually more selfish than what they would have led you to believe. And, you know, just people are people and... Uh, it depends, like not every family member that you run into is going to uh, be out there for your uh, best well-being. And he was uh, living a little bit of that. And the fact that he has like a tie to his grandmother, to somebody that's a direct uh, uh, lineage of his, it's, I, I guess, like it's just a, a healing totem for him, so to speak. But because of like the episodic nature, it's like, okay, what lesson are we learning today? Or are we not going to learn a lesson at all? It's so, like, for me, I like overarching stories, not necessarily like slice of life stuff, but like for something like this, it works. It's just hard for me to get into. And I guess like, I also sort of question like Madara's, um, I, th I think that's his name, uh, the cat fox spirit uh, that sort of pals around with him because his main uh, drive is to try and get the Book of Friends, right? And Natsumi said that, you know, if I die on this journey, giving uh, back these spirits, <laughs> give, giving back these spirits their name, right? Then you can have the Book of Friends. But then, like, with you, you would think that, like, a spirit that really, really wants the Book of Friends back would just kill him and take it or they would egg on the other spirits to try to kill him. But, I don't know, just, it's so weird, because sometimes he's sort of helpful, and other times he's not. He's just sort of there. He's like a more uninterested Ryuk, if Ryuk wasn't interested in watching Light do what he was doing, you know? It is. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just like, uh, where do I start with this? But yeah, so Madara <laughs> is a very interesting character because he makes Natsumi call him sensei, essentially. Yeah. And it is that he's taking the village? Village? No. Oh my god, I'm, I'm thinking about the word. But it's the image of the lucky cat from Japanese culture with the paw. And, and he basically plays up to that, a very chaotic 
trickster type, essentially. Yeah. Very uh, down the middle gray where, you know, even if you look at his color scheme, he has gray and orange on his back and like a white face. He's very iconic for uh, his look. And there's movies, there's the manga, of course, still is ongoing. So there's a lot of backstory to who Madara is and why he's attached to uh, not to me, but yeah, very much in the first episode when he appears, you get very straight to the point with the whole slice of life aspect of episodic, episodic, lesson learned, monster of the week, or I guess spirit of the week, yeah. essentially. And that Madara is somewhat of a, he's not an agent of chaos, but he isn't harmful in a strict sense because he's a immortal spirit essentially so he can wait for Natsumi to die he's trying to find entertainment along the ride as well he's not strictly going out of his way to get the book he's just like oh if I hang around with you long enough you're going to die essentially and if I happen to cause it all right which I think makes for a very interesting dynamic where you don't know if you can trust Mara especially after the first three episodes that you see that his character is kind of wishy-washy but it is a part of his character to be wishy-washy. So I very much appreciate the first episode for that reason that, yes, Natsumi has been gifted with this book that he didn't know about, and he's been abandoned by his parents because his parents didn't have a strong enough ability. So when they were seeing what was going on with their son, they were like, oh, he's cursed, like our family's cursed. So we're going to abandon him and allow him to just wander on his own and japan very much has a epidemic of runaways and homelessness i mean if you look at i learned recently about the sewer people of las vegas or yeah. even in um the capital city of mongolia there's a lot of people living in um, the sewage passage under the city that's kind of just a standard accepted truth of urban life and that does play a little bit into the first three episodes that you feel that Natsumi is trying to be a good person, that this book has bound spirits unfairly, maybe justifiably to the book, and they're haunting him to either release him or to re release them from the book, or there's so much I'm trying to not spoil. But speaking to at least the first three episodes, you do get that episodic kind of spirit of the week that other series go for and i'm very interesting very interesting that you said that since sentai kind of does that it's like the daily life of power rangers is slice of life so i was like huh that's a very yeah that's just a very interesting parallel to make that uh to say like slice of life is just one after the other and there is an overarching mission to <clears throat> him trying to get all the names released out of the book but yeah, until the later half of, I guess, season five, you don't really get to like, what is this all about? So, oh my goodness, season five. Oof. <laughs> I would have to say, like, I do like how sometimes they would talk about how his grandmother got the names in the first place. Like, she was just a bully thug to these yokai spirits, basically bonking them on the head and it's like, hey, be my friend. And basically stands them up for like years <laughs> and never call them again um i will say like i do like the there was a, one story where minatomi was growing up and how he ran into one person 
uh, that looked like they could uh, talk to spirits too. And it gave him some comfort. And then he learned that that person was a spirit as well. And he just felt betrayed. So like that was very powerful. Like if you had more stories like that, then I can see myself keep watching because it, it, it talked about Natsumi's uh, tr- uh, trauma and how he was dealing with it and even him reflecting on it as he's older. So like I really like that kind of stuff. But as 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 we said earlier, because of the episodic nature, it made me feel like, okay, next next episode's gonna be a crapshoot and I don't know if I wanna play that game. Right, for sure, because you know, they all can't be bangers essentially, especially with a seventy four episode run. And to mention the whole that's what the the story that you're talking about is in the third episode. So that does wrap up very well the three episode test for me because that does sell the idea of that all these spirits have different agendas is that yes, they're it's called quote unquote, the book of friends, but there's going to be some spirits that are tricksters like Madra. There's going to be some malevolent spirits. There are going to be good spirits. There's going to be morally gray spirits and that the grandmother, again, maybe talking about family trauma that he's been abandoned by his parents. He's been cursed by his grandmother and it's compounded by the fact that he looks like his grandmother. So yeah. a lot of these spirits are like, oh, you're just her. And of course, someone that was basically being the Pokemon master of the spirit <laughs> world would probably have some kind of way of, I guess, having themselves become immortal. Because, again, not little spoilers, but there's a lot of power, powerful spirits that are keeping their names held within the Book of friends and that kind of goes to the whole uh, case study of vanitas that i wanted to make a parallel to the idea of this powerful artifact inside of the hands of someone that wants to do good but you're not really sure about if they're really if their journey is really worth the hassle essentially so in case study of vanitas it's vampires and this it's spirits and probably what you're vibing with to mention something you said earlier, Sam, probably what you're vibing with is with is that shoujo aspect <clears throat> that I wanted to bring forward. So this does very much remind me of if you've ever seen Triple uh, X Holic, which is part of the Card Capture Sakura series. I've seen, I've, I've seen one or two episodes of it. I've been wanting to finish it. Yeah, essentially the same case of boy can see demons and spirits contracts a um, partnership with a eldritch god essentially to solve different spirits problems ancient magus bride which i guess premiered back in 2017 man i'm old but (laughs) yeah the same idea of a person a normal person or you know a person that's gifted in some kind of way getting entangled in like spirit matters as well as mushishi i don't know if you've seen that as well yeah i have uh... okay yeah so it's very very subtle in its storytelling and that's kind of what you have to <clears throat> go along with the ride that's sorry <clears throat> go along with the ride that it is long form storytelling and again that feels why the third the three episode test will fail because it's probably done in mind of doing more than 50 episodes and again the popularity over the years build and build and build even with the most recent season season 16 or sorry season 6 was in 2017 
So it just wrapped up very relatively recently. And to wrap that back around to the storytelling elements is that Nora is this same story, but told for a male young boy audience, while this is told a little bit geared towards a young girl audience. And it's strong in the aspects of trauma and what does it do to people. And I think that's something that maybe young boys, or at least from the anime industry perspective, is that boys can't handle that kind of serious matter at this young age. And it's very telling that they have this male character going through all this trauma, going through a lot of family abuse, essentially, that given the demographic, females or girls are more prone to experience than males, especially in Japanese culture. So I think that's where the story is stemming from, especially having a female mangaka telling it. So I think that's why I vibe with the story way more than I did with Nora. How do you feel about what I just brought up? Because I'm kind of, now that I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, am I stretching with that? I feel like you are stretching it a little bit in, in the sense that um, saying that uh, females, that, 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 that males and uh, females may not experience the same trauma. I, I would say it's like they would definitely process it differently, but I feel as though they would experience very similar uh forms of trauma and it's just again you know it, it's it's just a uh a, uh a process in trying to deal with it and remember like with most of these stuff like they're trying to hit the wide um a, as much as they can so like a lot of people or a lot of boys you know they like a lot of action they like a lot of, a lot, a lot of fighting and with girls by and large, they like things that are more emotionally tied. And that's not to say that boys don't suffer the same emotional trauma and problems that uh, girls do. It's just that, by and large, when you're trying to hit that audience, you go more for the action-adventure type. Because, you know, on... You know, it, 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 just speaking generally, you're you're gonna get more people to tune in because of that, rather than trying to hone in on that emotional aspect. And I feel as though that's one thing that suffers in the shonen genre is that uh, they, whenever a shonen uh, tackles like the emotional aspect, it's either like written off something super silly, or it's not handled very very well because men just like women are very emotional creatures they just deal and handle with it differently and just to say that uh men and boys don't have emotions or seldom use them is you know that that's just uh faulty logic so this is again just 74 episodes i didn't revisit it in full because i was thinking that we were going to do season three because I think there is a lot of weight that goes behind starting in season three that you don't have to begin with season one. And that was really my thought process when okay. I picked this for our um, anime to review. So we did do letter B before letter B reverse for that same reason, which I picked. And I also wanted to do with Kaiji, the ultimate survivor, but after reviewing that, I didn't want to bring that forward to the podcast because that actually doesn't work that way. And it's weird to say that it's okay to skip over 
the first two seasons of an anime because of I think the complaints that you had, Sam, is that it's really hard to vibe into a slice of life, especially with how it's episodic with, okay, we meet a problem and a problem in the same episode. And season three is where it does get into the overarching story that does okay. conclude around into season five and six about where is all this going? So is it just a endless cycle of, oh, this this whole book has unlimited names inside of it, so we can just do this story over and over and over and I know, over and I, over I, again. I, I was about to say, like, uh, from what I've seen, it seems like the book only has so many pages. It's like, how 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 long can you stretch out the story in, in, in a book that's been already written? It's not like the never-ending story, is it? <laughs> Whereas, like, one page is taken out, two more take its place. Perfect. I'm, yeah, okay, so I'm glad you, yeah, yeah so that is the idea that the book does present is like once you know that there's like 74 episodes you're like okay i can only see there's like 12 pages in this book so <laughs> where is it going to go and season three does do that so uh not to talk about three episodes of season three because we didn't talk about that but just speaking to the first three episodes of season one i do know where it's all going so i guess my um, but I do want to say that it is a resurrect for me. Are you feeling that it's borderline or definitely a resurrect, definitely a rebury? Where are you on this? No, I can see why it's popular. And I know I'm uh, an outlier when I say that I don't enjoy episodic episodes. And I would say, like, just, just to mention, because, because you mentioned Super Sentai, that's episodic in nature. But, like, when I was watching it, I was younger and it was just... <laughs> I was I was I was one of those shonen boys who likes fights just to watch fights, right? I like uh the explosion and the flashy spits. But then, you know, as I got older, it's like I like to have a more cohesive storytelling. Like if you're going to do like a long form, at least like try to give it to me and not necessarily do it in an episodic way. But I do see how other people appreciate it. I've I, I I've seen it in like people how how they love Cowboy Bebop and uh, other anime very similar to it and you can tell like even in the first few episodes that there's thought in these that that there are thoughts in these interactions with the different yokai and it I'm I'm glad that you had mentioned Mushishi because it reminds me of Mushishi Mushishi. <laughs> just ever so slightly so i would say i would definitely give this a, a resurrect if not for me for other people who would like this sort of genre because as as you said before it's more it's like nora but it focuses more on the emotional aspect and that's what's needed and it also handles the emotional um state uh, of uh, people very well and i think it does give a good insight to Natsumi and what type of person that he is and what he's trying to be, even if they are pretty cagey on what Madara is supposed to do or why he's even there to begin with. Very true, yeah, because that does seem to be at least a three-episode point of interest, is that, is this cat going to kill him? <laughs> and you're like, okay, so if that's the sinister nature you're getting from Madara, and, you know, maybe if you've seen Naruto, you know that Madara means, oh, what it means. It means either 
keeper of life or i guess the trans or the the free translation would be like bodyguard or someone that guards you but anyways yeah so with natsumi it does age well because of even though it's aimed at younger audiences if you're coming into it with knowledge of like the homeless problem and homeless problem and the runaway problem of japan and everything that they go into with the different cultures because you go into the folklore of certain spirits their history the relationship with humans how it's kind of molded over time because it does take like a modern interpretation of certain spirits in the direction that people are not familiar with so we did talk about oh the peach boy um for yeah, peach boy uh, riverside yeah so that story of the peach and the ogres so all that does come into play so if you're looking into if you vibe with a cold academy something that we did wow so many episodes ago but the idea of japanese folklore and how it is interpreted in modern times it also has that additional uh, i guess historical or cultural context to it so i give it all the thumbs up for resurrect same as you sam so that concludes our 10-year discussion of not to me book a friend yep 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 and for our next episode we will be reviewing the mystic archives of dantelian uh that, that was my pick and i feel like that would be a very interesting <laughs> Uh, I feel like it's going to be an interesting choice and an interesting discussion for us. Oh, uh, real quick, um, before we end it, I guess, like, um, because you said that you had seen Natsume before, like, what was one of the things that kept you coming to Natsume? Oh, the manga. It was one of those series that was a part of my uh, high school uh, manga club. So that along with, like, Black Cat, Fruit Baskets, Oran Host Club. So because it's shoujo, uh, a lot of the manga in my manga club was shoujo, so I actually experienced the manga first and then came to the anime. So I was kind of attached to its original source material for that reason. Oh, uh, so is would you say that the anime is true to form, or did they uh, give filler and padding like uh, Naruto and Dragon Ball did? Uh, it's really hard to tell because they don't do it in a way that's obvious because anything that they divert from the story, they still, they still keep within the same themes of exploring Japanese folklore and the relationship between spirits and humans. So if there was something in the manga that wasn't, or something in the anime that was in the manga, it does keep with the same tone and with the same subject matter. So I couldn't really tell, but given that it did end properly, it is a original anime ending so again the idea of resurrecting it to see if they do want to not erase but redo it same way as that they did re, uh, fruit baskets recently i would not mind it at all aside from that those were a bit, a bit of our final thoughts on natsume's book of friends is there anything that you would like to say uh for us in our audience jay yeah that's i don't need friends i don't want friends all I need and want is the book of friends.